0: I remember as a kid at some point during uh, autumn uh, we were hollowing out and cutting these kind of faces in beets actually and this is a practice that probably rests on ritual logic that uh, I think is very fundamental to Nordic animism. There's this thing about transformation of what I've called essences. People seem to have this or they want to condense essences of nature, of a holiday, of a season, of the wildness, of the crops. Uh, and then they want to transform these essences in ways that seem to dialogue with or mirror sort of life-giving transformations, um, like uh, like corn to bread, for instance. So you build a corn doll, a deity out of the crop, then you make beer out of it, and then you give the beer to the earth or to the wild hunter, something like that. Um, and these faces that I remember making as a kid, uh, some sort of that kind of logic. And it's, it's very dense, in fact, it's so dense that I'm not really sure I fully understand it. it it's, a, it's a combination of the, dark, the threshold into the dark time, uh, monstrosity inside a life-giving produce death and life sort of brought together at the threshold between the light and the dark period of the year. Um, yeah, dangerous monstrosity sort of inside life, upholding sustenance. So you have when you have, for instance, light shining inside a bead, uh, then it's something that belongs on the ground. It's almost like, a, almost like turning on the light in the Underworld or turning on a monster in the underworld or something like that Um, These here they're just contemporary pumpkins uh, Because the Nordic all Hallows or all souls November day traditions. They've been Waning quite a lot uh, to the point of almost disappearing in my childhood I barely remember all Hallows being marked at all Uh, But then Danish culture went and did what all living healthy culture does it imports Often stuff that seems other, but is really very closely aligned to pre-existing cultural notions or ideas. So Danes did that. They did what natural humans do, and they're not impeded by nationalist exclusionisms. Uh, They went and borrowed culture perceived as other. And then we got Halloween. (laughs) At the same time new and sort of newly imported, and a bit other in this context, yet symbolisms that work over exactly the same or similar themes as have been there probably since the Vikings celebrated the Vetrnetur or the winter nights at around this time of year. It's even called Halloween, even though we do have a, a name for All Hallows in, in our own language. My little daughter, she calls it Halloween. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's an import from a place in the world where exactly this holiday has become this wonderfully rich and powerful expression in uh, yeah North America. So when Danes are now growing uh, pumpkins, not so much actually to make pumpkin pies or soups, but mostly as as adornments actually for this holiday which is still sort of perceived as a new thing but to my children it'll be the way it always was and that's also a really interesting thing about how rituals work they can be very recent yet give us a sense of being somehow internal as it's like it was always like that you know Uh, that is as if there's something about rituals that is beyond time somehow uh, and it's also somehow true. This American Halloween, even though it's a really new thing, it also represents these sort of native motifs that might have been here already. And in that sense, it's, you know, a very constant, maybe not beyond time, in that sense. Um, and the fact that it's from North America directly basically just gives it, spices it up a little bit with the otherness. And this looking for the other is, in fact, a very fundamental part of how I think any culture work. Uh, the American uh, phenomenologist Thomas Sordis considered the strive towards alterity or otherness to be a driving motor in religiosity, almost an inherent thing pointing towards other. And you find this in many human situations. Europeans, for instance, have always had this thing about the East as other and as religiously powerful. as ancient tradition, you know, Christianity came to you. Europe and linked with this, it was kind of this sort of new Eastern religious movement, you know, uh, that appealed by being exotic and deep and even Oriental. You know? uh, and you find you find it in many different uh, contexts. For instance, in Viking Viking Age Scandinavia, there was even a practice called finfaring, jera Finfara or at fin finnar spöra spå, meaning visiting the Sami. Who were perceived as an important cultural other in order to acquire religious knowledge. Norwegian kings also emphasized, uh, in the sagas, were written down that they were really ha- had partly of Sami descent. This was a way of claiming some otherness. That would, uh, you know, a way of saying I'm a powerful, legitimate king. And this might even have played a role in Snorri Sturluson's casting of the Asia gods as Asians, an idea that gods came from far away, their other. It might have been a literary theme in Snorri's hands, but this fundamental idea of otherness might well reflect both medieval and possibly also pre-Christian valorizations of otherness as powerful. Um, We mostly tend to envision the Middle Ages as these super, super white spaces, But it's just a fact that the same people who invented and enjoyed and developed the tales of King Arthur, these noble castes of knights at their courts and so on, uh, that they had as as their patron deity for for medieval knighthood, St. Mauritius, a black man. The actual medieval knights worshipped a black man as as their most quintessential image of what knighthood meant to them. and this is just a historic fact Um, and that wasn't because they practiced what we would call inclusivity or had ideals that would work inside the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Medieval warrior culture wasn't progressive in our sense of course. They were probably wildly chauvinist people in some senses who would exert random violence for instance towards people that they considered inferior commoners or slaves or something like that Um, but it just shows us that they didn't think about race in that way, Uh, when they looked at Saint Mauritius, the black uh, saint of knighthood, they saw otherness, uh, and that was valorized, charged, powerful. Um, And there's something about All Souls or All Hallows Day being associated with the dead uh, that Links with this, because death in itself is a very strong perspective on other. Being dead is one of the most basic, fundamental way of being other. You might say the dead is yeah very other. <coughs> 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 and lately, <coughs> and lately, this particular holiday is actually also starting being infused with another American holiday here, and that is Dia de los Muertos, which Danes interestingly name in their own language, calling. Day of the Dead, a little bit like, oh, we already knew that. And uh, this is obviously very close to the original meanings. uh, And and, and this expression just seems new here. (laughs) And it's adding new layers of meaning to it that people are inventing re-engaging this ancient animist holiday. Which represents the threshold between the time of life, the summer, and the time of death and darkness, the winter, right? So where Halloween has uh, has, has gotten a touch of vulgar capitalism and children's merchandise to it. Uh, I, I think I think it lost a little bit of the poetry and richness and beauty I think of real North American Halloween. Um, Europeans sometimes tend to have a little bit of a chauvinist perspective on North American culture, uh, as if it's a little bit inferior or inauthentic. So uh, when uh, North Americans, you know, has, have kept alive and transmitted and developed this amazing holiday, um, you know, then then Europeans sometimes put it down a little bit. Uh, it, was a, it was a little bit of a dismissive rejection of North American culture as its own authentic Eurodescendant and Euro-Creole, uh, of course, culture. Um, yeah, <clears throat> and and but paradoxically, then the Day of the Dead, which is also an American thing, just Mexican, uh, seems to be perceived a little bit more classy somehow. There's like churches and cultural associations that have lectures considering life and death and these kind of things. So, um, yeah. And Dia de los Muertos has, of course, its own interesting history. Uh, There was Southern European all-souls celebrations dating back to the... Roman paternalia, forefather celebrations that got absorbed in the Catholic commemorations of the faithful departed. And this went into natural exchange and synergy with local American indigenous traditions uh, somewhat earlier in the year, I think. uh, Aztec celebrations around August and stuff like that. And this developed into this almost like a cult of the dead taking place around this time of year Um, in in specific indigenous Mexican communities Mm. who developed like these rituals of spectacular beauty where uh, you know specific butterflies migrating are identified with the souls of the dead like streaming through the uh, the world and so on and these local celebrations belonging to specific communities was then appropriated or adopted by uh, Mexican nationalism and made into Uh, symbolic of Mexican state adherence and statehood, and then they became a nationwide thing. So instead of being these very uh, local indigenous uh, uh, Mexicans honoring their dead, it became a way that Mexicans portrayed their Mexican-ness. So in northern Mexico, for instance, uh, this only started to be celebrated sometime in the 20th century. Uh, and uh, I think it is today even showing signs of becoming a pan-Hispanic thing, uh, and even moving even further. Um, today, I think this this remarkable combination of Gothic and fairy gore and beauty is truly transatlantic pa- parade of Native American ancestrality and European dance macabre uh, tradition is seems to be going global a little bit and merging with other all-soul celebrations like halloween um a bit like perhaps the south german campus there which is a similarly incredibly beautiful ancient yet very dynamically contemporary tradition that's spreading all over the world um it's as if people are today t- drawn towards these uh, traditional culture with the potential for re-enchantment and re-engaging animist realities uh I've, I've myself been an anchor person in in trying to reintroduce the Nordic yule goat in here uh, in Copenhagen with inspiration from the campus Lauf that's uh, globalizing uh, at the moment, and um, campus <coughs> comes from white people. Uh, So it has less problems spreading, because for unfathomable reasons, people who claim to be anti-racists paradoxically suddenly have a huge problem when non-white or people of more racially ambiguous um, observance like Mexicans, when their culture is being exported all over the place and receiving universal uh, appreciation. But yes... Future will tell if this, if the natural spread of of also the Day of the Dead into uh, our All Hollows, All soul celebrations, in Northern Europe and the Northern Hemisphere, uh, if it will be allowed to happen and it will receive the valorization that it really deserves as this uniquely beautiful and powerful contribution to humanity that it really is, or if it will be blocked by these. Uh, Ultra-nationalist value systems that are sometimes practiced by people who identify as le- leftist. Um, anyway, that was a couple of thoughts on the um, All Souls Day, Also's Day uh, celebration in super interesting ongoing uh, flux and reinvention. Uh, and I should mention that also the, the runic animist war calendar uh, with its explanatory book the runic animist year that you can find uh, the, in that uh, you can find a spe- specific kind of other culture also related to um, this, uh, this holiday. Uh, and that is traditional Nordic culture. How people used to sacrifice a hell horse on the old hallows and how they used to gather offerings of fodder and bring it to a sacred boar in, 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 in the village and, and this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Let me just end this video by describing a little bit what I do uh, a little bit more. My name is uh, Rune uh, Janne and I'm a PhD in history, history of Religions. I'm working at seeing Nordic History of Religions as processes of rejecting animist knowledge Um, and and this is a a strictly academic side of my work and and I think I'll make a video soon that explains a little bit more exactly about the academic side of it. But I'm not only working with academia, I'm also trying to work these uh, perspectives into play in contemporary culture and society and sometimes in playful and experimental ways of doing like cultural activism and and so on, uh, I believe that scholarship should be used to play back into culture, and uh, I'm doing this in a, a number of different ways. Um, one is that, as I mentioned, I, I'm, I'm an anchor person in, in the contemporary cultural event event, trying to uh, reengage Nordic animism uh, around Yule tide, and and uh, uh, another thing is that I, I've been. Uh, producing debate together with a group of scholars in public media where he's trying to introduce traditional knowledge not as this nostalgic thing of the past but as a living contemporary mode of environmentalist reflection uh, about how we may behave a little bit less apocalyptically, cataclysmically destructed towards the world that we live in. Um, yeah, the, the fundamental meaning, I think, of what people used to call fertility religion, engaging the world in respectful and kind ways so that the world gives us respect and kindness back in the form of giving humans sustainably uh, life supporting spaces to live in. Um, yes, I've also been cre- creating popularization, as mentioned, in the form of um, a calendar that tries to communis- communicate outside, you know, the worst academic hula-bula language uh, and introducing lay people to to a traditional knowledge perspective on their own daily lives. Um, I'm also doing it in other ways, uh, projects that will hopefully be launched uh, in, in not so long. So if you like what I'm doing, then uh, there are actually a number of ways uh, that you can support me. Um, and I do need the support. From a professional employment perspective, this is a fringe thing I'm doing. Uh, I'm an un- unemployed father of three, <laughs> and I'm trying to make, it, make ends meet while trying to change the world through this uh, particular perspective. So it's possible to pray and support me, but uh, that's not the only thing you can do. You can also share my work. You can share it into groups, you can ping your friends, you can like it, you can follow it. it. If you're on YouTube, you can press the little like buttons and the little subscribe buttons and write a little message saying, cool shit, (laughs) what does this or that mean and so on. And uh, social media activity is uh, in relation to my work that supports uh, my work, that supports my channel. So um, thanks a lot for listening and uh, see you around.